Words from the Hills, reconfigure your life, change your heart, and prepare you for all that God has destined you to be. Welcome to the Hills Church. The scripture this morning, our anchor scripture is from Matthew chapter 16, from verse 13 to 19. Matthew 16, from verse 19 to 13 to 19. Already New King James Version. Are we ready? Okay. When Jesus came into the, into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, You are Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. May God bless the reading of his word. This is the, an account of Jesus, and, and if I'm going to title, or the title of today's message is Treasure the Keys. Treasure the Keys. That's the title of today's word. When we are all familiar with the concept of keys, right? we all know what key is. A key is a mechanism or device uh, that is used for opening something, Right? Um, whether it, the key is in the form of the key of a house or the key of a car or the key of your office or a suitcase or whatever it is, um, a key is necessary. We all own one, uh, one way or the other. Even for keyless entry, uh, some form of key is necessary to allow us, uh, access or denial into a particular thing. And um, if for instance, you don't have a key at all in your house, then over time, your house might turn into a community center where anybody can walk in or walk out if they want or don't want at all. Imagine walking into your house and see someone making a cup of coffee for himself. Right? That wouldn't be pleasing. And then, you know, if the person has the nature of one of us in this room, uh, they might be making a cup of tea uh, for themselves. And um, that wouldn't be nice. All right, so keys are necessary to prevent certain access uh, into uh, certain places. Now, some keys are more important than others, right? Uh, there are keys that if you lose them, mm, okay, whatever. Um, you're not that bothered, right? But there are some keys that if you lose them, you are very worried, all right? Um, keys to your house, for instance, if you live alone. Keys to uh, your car, for instance. Uh, those keys are very important. They can literally put in a bit of a distress. And you don't want to lose those keys for any reason. Uh, I remember one evening, 
and um, I, somebody had asked for my key to, they wanted to put something in the trunk of the car, in the boot of the car, so I you know, gave the person the key. Um, this was in the mainland. And so after he was done, um, when he finished, he put the key, the car was locked, he put the key in the trunk and then closed the trunk. It was not fun. And so when I came down to go home and I demanded for the key and he said, um, the key is inside the trunk. So how am I gonna go home today? And so we brought some guy to come and open the car. And he came and the guy was creating more damage. I told him, no, thank you very much, you can go. And, um, and I had to take a cab home to get, go get the spare key. It wasn't a very short ride. And then went back again to open the car. So within that time, honestly, I understood the importance of key within that time. And every time now I open my trunk, before I close it, you guess right. I check my pocket very well and make sure that it's not inside our place. So keys are really, really important. And um, we don't want to lose them, especially when they, are, when they serve a, a really important purpose in our lives. As Christians, we possess another set of keys, which was what Jesus was describing in the scripture. And these keys are even more important than the key of your car or the key of your house. These are critical keys. Jesus called them the keys of the kingdom of heaven. These are extremely important keys. Let's go to that scripture and try to understand what he's saying there. So we'll go back to Matthew 16 from verse 13. Matthew 16 from verse 13. When Jesus came to the region, so he came to Caesarea, and then he began to take an opinion poll. And, you know, he called his disciples. Uh, guys, come, let me, let me ask you a question. Uh, who do people think that I am? So he was trying to understand what's going on. So he has been on the earth for a while, and then he was trying to understand, because it's important that they understand who he is. If not, what's the purpose of the ministry that he's doing here? So he took an opinion poll. What's going on? Who do people think they are? And then disciples began to respond in verse 14. Uh, some say you are John the Baptist, probably because of the authority with which he declared the word of God. When he goes into the synagogue, when he's preaching elsewhere, he's declaring the word of God with authority. And then some said, oh, you are Elijah. Because probably the miracles that he was doing and the commands he had at the time. And some said Jeremiah and one of the prophets. So they thought, uh, this guy is prophesying. He's speaking things that will come to pass. So he must be a prophet. And then in verse 15, after Jesus had heard all of those things, he said, uh, but who do you say that I am? Their question. And then the first person was Simon Peter. And Peter began to respond and said, you are Christ, the Messiah. The son of the living God, not just an ordinary human Messiah, you are the unique divine son of God. And Jesus thought that was an incredible answer. And he said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Simon, you've not gotten this by your own strength. This must be a revelation from God. This must have come revealed to you by my Father who is in heaven. He said to him, uh, blessed are you, Simon. And then he blessed him. Uh, Bajana, you are the truth in your mouth. You have spoken correctly what God has placed in your heart. 
Now, it is not enough to follow Jesus everywhere he went. Not enough. And it's not enough to be in church every single Sunday. It's absolutely wonderful, but it's not enough. It's not enough that you attend every service and then you attend every meeting. Absolutely wonderful, really good thing, but that's not enough. Something more Jesus is demanding. It is important and critically important that we understand the essence of the man we call Lord. So let me ask you this question, everyone in this room. Who is Jesus to you? Don't, don't, don't worry about what someone else has said or someone who is next to you. Who is Jesus to you? I'm not talking about the preaching of Pastor Moore, pastor, the, the pastors from the house, or maybe even what you've Googled online and saw online. No, no, no. I'm talking about to you as a person, who is Jesus to you? Because until you catch the revelation of his essence, you're still an outsider. You're not yet an insider yet. You're still responding like the people who the disciples were describing in the scripture. Some said you are prophet. Some said you are this. No, no, no. But who do you believe that he is? Verse 18. Then Jesus makes a play of words here. Because Peter's name means rock, right? Or stone. So there's a play of word in verse 18. He says, you are Peter, Petrus. And on this rock, Petra, this massive rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Those are two different words. You are Petrus, you are Peter, just a common stone. And on this rock, I will build my church on this solid, massive cornerstone. I will build my church. What was he talking about? Let's go to Matthew 7, verse 24. It provides an insight into what he's talking about. Matthew 7, 24. I'll read that quickly. It says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock, the same word again, Petra. The same word is appearing here, massive cornerstone. This is a bedrock stone of Jesus' teaching. He says, everyone who hears this word, so he's describing his own word at this time. Everyone who hears this word is like one who built his house on a solid, solid rock. Notice that in that scripture, going back to verse 18, Jesus did not say, on you I will build my church, which would have been an easier thing to say. Notice what he said. He said, you are Peter, and on this rock, not on you, Peter, because there has been some misunderstanding of this scripture, and on this rock, what rock? His teachings, on his word, on things that he is declaring, on these my declarations, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail. Verse 19. And I will give you, that you is plural, which means all disciples of God, including you and I. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. 
And whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus is giving you and I the same thing he gave to Peter, something he gave to Paul and to all the apostles, the same thing. He's given to us the keys of the kingdom. What then are these keys of the kingdom? In Luke chapter 11, verse 52, provides us some insight there. What then are the keys of the kingdom? Luke eleven fifty-two. Are you following? If you're following, say amen. What to you lawyers? If you're a lawyer, he's not talking about you right now. Tell me, don't be, don't be scared, don't be scared. What to you lawyers? For you have been, you have taken away the key of knowledge, the same word. You did not enter yourself, and you hinder those who we are entering. This is the key of the kingdom of God, the same word, the key of knowledge, the word of God. So the keys of the kingdom are the word of God. The keys of the kingdom are referring to the utterances, the proclamations, the words of God that he has been altering and he said to these people guys you are preventing you're not using the words for yourself and you're also not even declaring those words to others so that they can be saved you're either not declaring them or declaring them wrongly in a way that these people are not coming to salvation verse 19 and i will give you the keys of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In other words, I give you the authority to open and shut doors of the kingdom of heaven on the basis of these keys. When you turn the keys, you are opening or closing the doors. I want you to follow me. I'm going somewhere this morning. When the keys are turned, an incredible amount of power is released on the earth. When the word of God is released, something changes. Either something opens or something closes. A key is also a symbol of authority. So if you have the key to something, you have the authority to open or lock it. For instance, if you give someone your car keys, then you've automatically given them the authority to open your car and possibly even drive the car. And you should be praying that they know how to drive. Because that's an authority that you have delivered to them to move, to use your car. So whatever, whoever holds the key has the authority of that particular thing. Key conveys absolute authority. Now not every access is a good access. Some access must be closed. So that's why he said, you have the power to open and close. For some doors, they must close. If those doors are not closed, something is being denied you that you don't know about. And it's important to know which door should be open in your life and which door should be shut immediately. You have the keys to shut those doors. You have the keys also to turn open the doors that are closed. 
The Word of God grants us different levels of access. And I will talk about two of them this morning. First is access to salvation. Access to salvation. The preaching of the Word of God represents the keys of heaven. And when it is opened, people can enter the kingdom of heaven. So when the Word of God is being preached, you're sending forth you're, open, you're turning keys open and you're literally telling people it's okay to come in into the kingdom of God. That's why preaching cannot be replaced by anything else. Because when the word of God is not being preached, it is equivalent to you locking the doors for some people. When the gospel is being preached and you are exercising the unlock and lock uh, ability of the keys given to you. And you're technically saying, would you like to come in? Let's see Romans chapter 10 verse 14. Romans 10 verse 14. I read that quickly. It says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is reading, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Those who bring glad tidings of good things. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach. Remember the scripture we read earlier in Luke 11 verse 52. It says to the lawyers, he said to them, you have taken away the key of knowledge. You have withheld the key of declaring the word of God, of teaching the word of God, of preaching the word of God. That's why you should not be in a space that doesn't preach the word of God. Any place that denies you access to the word of God is not the right place to be. He says to them, you have locked up the kingdom by not declaring the truth. And the same thing is true. He says to them, you didn't enter and you are hindering those who want to get in as well. When the word of God is taught, it opens up the kingdom for people's lives to come in. And the opposite is absolutely the truth. I think it was John Piper who said, knowledge withheld or distorted closes the kingdom to people. Knowledge withheld or distorted. The truth not spoken correctly. It says it closes the kingdom to people. It is the word of God that man must believe to be saved. So when the gospel is preached, you are exercising the key. Men and women have been invited to Jesus and they are able to receive the Lord as their personal Lord and Savior. May I ask this morning, is there anyone in this room or probably listening to online, connected online, who has not, you're not very certain about your salvation. You're not yet clear if you're saved or not. It's still not very clear to you. There is an invitation this morning because the doors are open. The invitation this morning, if you're not certain about it, you're not clear, you're still not sure. You think, um, I think, I think I was saved. I'm not sure. It is important to be sure. Some things, you don't need to be sure about them. But for this particular one, you've got to be sure about, about it. 
God has opened that door and that access is open. All you need to do is to say yes to Jesus. The door is open. Just come in. He's saying, come and I will receive you this morning. Can we just take a moment and just pray this morning? Just take a moment. If you've given your life to Jesus, it is wonderful. Say, Lord, thank you for salvation. And place your allegiance again to him. Place your allegiance. Say, Lord, I will not falter. Lord, I will not turn back. I will not go back. I will not go back. I will pursue this calling of yours. And if not giving your life to Christ, to the Lord, this is the right time to do it. Say, Father, I accept you into my life. I recognize myself as a sinner. I recognize that you died on the cross for my redemption. That I will be saved. That I will be redeemed. I recognize that this morning. And I make you my Lord and Savior. I confess my sins. Be the Lord of my life. Be the Savior of my life. We give you our lives this morning, O oh God. We recommit ourselves into your hands. We pledge our allegiance again. Be the Lord of our lives. Be the Savior of our lives. Lord, we recommit ourselves to you, O oh God. May this morning be another morning of entering the kingdom. As the angels rejoice, O oh God, over your people. Thank you for life, O oh God. Thank you for the death on the cross. We receive your word this morning. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. The second access is access to life. Access to life. In John 6 verse 63. John 6 verse 63. New King James Version has become my go-to version of the Bible. John 6 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. The word of God grants us access to life. Words can bring death. Words can bring life. The word of God brings life. Our lead scripture says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. So by these words, you have control of yourself. By these words, you can declare life and expect it to happen. By these words, you're going to change your circumstances. Things around you can be altered as these words are declared. A lot of times, complaints are things that we do. And those can be very dangerous because they're working against you without even knowing. Some declarations are holding someone bound that shouldn't even hold them bound. And it says you need to attach yourself and declare life and declare life and declare life. When the word of God is declared on earth, heaven responds, amen. Heaven says it is so. That's what God is saying. He says, whatever you bind on earth, 
is already bound in heaven. There is a respect of that word spoken on earth. And whatever you lose on earth, you allow on earth, is allowed in heaven. For where the word of the king is, there is power. In Proverbs 18 verse 21. Proverbs 18 21. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And whoso love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Sometimes God has to force us to stop us from destroying something he's trying to do. Because understand that sometimes our words can literally hold his own plan in our lives. Remember the case of Zechariah in, first, uh, in Luke chapter 1 verse 13. Luke 1 13. So the angel of God appeared to Zechariah and began to speak to him and said to him, Zechariah, you need to rejoice. Be happy. Your prayers have been answered. Rejoice. And then Zechariah, you know, he was telling him about how people, he's going to have a son. And all kinds of things are going to happen. Beautiful things. And the first word that comes out of Zechariah's mouth is, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, he started complaining. And my wife is well advanced in years. In other words, he's only seeing the impossibility in what the angel is declaring. And the angel was like, I don't think you understand. Zechariah, I am Gabriel, in verse 19. Zechariah, it's not any spirit that just appeared to you. He says, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. If not for anything, for the fact that I stand in the presence of God means something. And then he said to him, you will not be able to speak anymore. Lest you destroy what I've, the message I've come to deliver to you. So you remain mute until this boy is born. I don't want to return here to fight a war because of what you have said with your mouth. Sometimes some declarations put the angels under tension because they are fighting against your own words in order to defend you. What words are you altering? And he said to Zachariah, it's time, don't talk again. Whatever you want to say, write it down. And I'm sure if you wanted to write something bad down, he will probably make his hand not to work again. So Zachariah from that point became dumb so that the will of God will be fulfilled. What is prophecy? You see, most times we understand prophecy as a declaration of a mystery. Or we see it as declaration of the unknown. That's true. But it's way more than that. You see, when you begin to declare what heaven is saying, you are prophesying. The moment you begin to declare the word of God, you are prophesying. When you begin to say the things that God is saying, it is a prophecy. Every declaration of the word of God is a prophecy. You may not be a prophet, but every believer must be prophetic. It is a requirement. You may not be a prophet. You may not be ordained as a prophet. You may not be Jeremiah or Isaiah. You may not be those ones. You may not even be, you know, Ezekiel. But you are required to be prophetic. If not, you might tie down things that should be progressing. You might be holding things that should be going forward. Or possibly even allowing things that should not be happening in your life. 
on your family, on your marriage, on your business, or the things around you. There are words that must be altered. Declarations must happen. Is there any prophetic person in this room? Say yes. Is there any prophetic person in this room? Come on, say yes. And the word became flesh and dwelled among us. And we beheld his glory. Watch this. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 1 John 1.14. When the word of God is declared, it ceases from, becoming, from being ordinary words. Once the word is declared, it takes on flesh. It becomes active. The word we read earlier in John 63 says, the word is spirit. So it becomes a spirit and spirits don't die. Spirits, they don't die. So when you make your declarations, understand that those words are not dead, whether you're joking or not. Those words are alive. What does that mean? It means that you must constantly declare the right words over your life. The enemy is speaking over you. You must counter those words. You must counter those words and speak life. It says the word became flesh. You speak those truths. They become flesh. They become words that are powerful. And then you are ready to behold the glory of it. Say to your neighbor, turn the keys. Come on, come on. Say to your neighbor, say them, turn the keys. Isaiah 44, verse 24. Isaiah 44, 24. Thank you, Jesus. Kaliparu Samahan. Rikasukahan. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and he who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who makes all things. Let's go to verse 26. I confirm. <laughs> or establish the word of my servant and perform the counsel of my messengers. I confirm the counsel of my servants. I perform, that word means carry out or execute. I execute the counsel of my messengers. What does that mean? It means that every servant of God that alters words, God works and performs whatever they say. And keep in mind, it didn't say, watch this, it didn't say, I confirm the words of the apostles and the bishops and the, the, the pastors and the teachers. No, no, no. It says, I confirm the words of my servant. Tell your neighbor you are a servant of God. Tell your neighbor you are a servant of God. And he's saying, I confirm the words of my servants. Keep in mind, he's saying, thus says the Lord. So this is not someone trying to speak about what God can do. This is God saying what he does. I confirm the words of my servant and perform the counsel of my messengers. Words are more powerful when they are filled, when you are filled with the Spirit of God. I'm closing now. Words are more powerful. So some words, you know, you declare them, they may or may not come to pass. They're still hovering, but there are so many things fighting them. But there are some words that have no other alternative but to come to pass. When one is filled with the Spirit, there is an action of the Spirit that forces those words to come to pass. And God said, let there be light. 
before then the Holy Spirit was already hovering around the face of the deep. So the moment the words were spoken, there was nothing that can stop those words from coming to pass because the Spirit was present within those words. When you are filled with the Word of God and filled with the Holy Spirit, your words are more potent. The more you engage the Spirit, the more you strengthen your declarations. The more you engage the Spirit, the more you strengthen your declarations. As you're praying more, as you're engaging more, the more you are in, you're, you're seeing yourself absolutely filled with power that your words have nothing but must come to pass. How do I know this? In 1 Kings 17, in 1 Kings 17, the man who stopped rain, what happened to him? 1 Kings 17, Elijah stopped rain by his own words. We know this story, but there is something I want to point out from this story. In 1 Kings 17 verse 1, it says, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, he said to Ahab, listen to this, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand. Pause there. <laughs> As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand. That word is present continuous tense. He was talking to Ahab. But he's telling Ahab, I am standing in the presence of God. In other words, when I make a declaration, <laughs> it is bound to come to pass. Watch what he said next. He says, there shall not be dew or rain these years except at my word. So this man was so much in the presence of God that he didn't need to collect permission from God to make declaration and for that declaration to hold. You can be so much in the presence of God that your declarations automatically become the declarations of God because you are so in tune with Him. Sometimes you're making declarations thinking that your own words, but they are not your own words. I'm almost certain that this man was moved by the Spirit. The same with Gabriel. He said to Zechariah, you don't understand, guys. I am, I stand in the presence of God. As a result of my standing in the presence of God, I have gained some power. I've gained some authority that my declarations must come to pass. Zachariah, it's not about how old you are. It's about that which I am declaring to you. I stand in the presence of God. And he didn't say, God told me. None of them. Well, um, uh, uh, what, um, is, uh, what do you call him? Um, Elijah did not say, God told me. No, no, no. It is because of his standing with God. When we are filled with the Spirit, constantly filled with the Spirit, expect your words to come to pass. This morning, God is saying you have access to salvation and you have access to life. You have access to life. Are you ready for that access? Can we rise this morning and we'll begin with asking the Spirit to fill us? We're going to make some declarations this morning. But the first thing is to say, Lord, fill me. I invite Hills Music to please come. Say, Lord, feel me. There's a difference when you're filled with the Spirit. There's a difference. Every morning, let this be your plan. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. And you'll be surprised how your command about meetings that you go for will work. You're going for a meeting and then you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you get there and making declarations and they're listening. It's not because of you. There is something back in your words. Lika sehika Torah, Mika 
Likatori ke seima tokahan. Liko sibra hikama toka seilibrane. Are you filled with the Spirit? This is a continuous thing you have to do. It is not something you did yesterday. Yes, we went for a retreat yesterday. But believe me, today you need another feeling. <laughs> you feel today when you get up tomorrow morning, you need another feeling. It is a continuous thing. The angel said, I stand before the Lord. You must learn to stand every day. 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 That's why God has been teaching us on intimacy. Teaching us on intimacy. Embrace His presence. Teaching us on the intimacy. And He's saying this moment, embrace the Holy Ghost that your words will gain power. Thanks for listening to this message from the Hills Church. Our mission is to love people, connect with family, and touch the world. Learn more on our website at www.ecclesiahills.org or email us at hello at ecclesiahills.org.